Hey, Crossings Podcast community. This teaching is called Celtic Enchantment and is the second teaching in our Re-Enchanted series. It was taught by Molly Conaway on July 31st, 2022. Thanks for listening. You could throw your money in this well, and if the eels disturb your tokens, it means your lover would be faithful for life. Not surprisingly, the church became very wealthy from these pilgrimages. Um, Who needs premarital counseling when you have magic eels? But after the Protestant Reformation, um, the the pilgrimages kind of dwindled. Uh, Now the church is in ruins. There is no longer a well with magic eels who could predict your romantic future. A lot has changed in the past 500 years. For most of us, the way we see the world, the way we see life and God and faith uh, has become pretty disenchanted, I would say. We are dominated by technology and science with what is logical, with what is efficient, you know, reasonable things. Most of us don't even know if we believe in God anymore, let alone angels or demons or magic eels. 500 years ago, though, things were different. When you scroll through the pages of your Bible, things seemed different. God showed up and spoke to people in all sorts of ways, like actually spoke to them. There were extraordinary wonders and magical creatures. Old, barren women became pregnant. Trees caught on fire and didn't burn up. The seas split in two with dry ground through the middle. Water became wine. People were healed, even raised from the dead. God's presence just seemed so clear. But slowly, steadily we've grown up. And we've left those fairy tales behind us and we've become pretty unimpressed or disenchanted with the whole faith in God thing. And I wonder if many of us have arrived at a point in faith where we know we can't go back to the faith that we grew up with, but we're not quite sure where to go next. Like, like we want to stay Christian, but, but why do we stay? Like what makes us stick around? Caleb taught about this last week and that whole feeling, it just doesn't feel that great. It kind of feels like an ache. The story of the holy well on Landwin Island and the description of this ache, it comes from the book that has inspired this teaching series we're in called Hunting Magic Eels by Richard Beck. And this series that we're in the middle of is called Re-Enchanted. And if you weren't here last week, uh, I highly recommend you go listen to the podcast of the teaching because it kind of sets the stage for for today and the next three Sundays. Caleb framed what's going to be going on over the next little bit. But what Richard Beck says is that often our faith disenchantment or our faith deconstruction moves us, often even reduces our faith to things like morality and political action. But morality and political action don't heal the ache, not completely. Beck says that an enchanted faith, by contrast, is a wonder and joy-filled adventure with God opening the wardrobe door and finding yourself in Narnia. So what might soothe that ache that many of us feel? Where we know our faith has become disenchanted, but we're not willing to walk away either. What might it mean 
to see this faith in God and Jesus thing as a thing that is re-enchanted. Well, there is no one answer. But this week, in the next three weeks, we're going to offer some different pathways, uh, examples of the ways others have managed to re-enchant their faith in the past. So the next three weeks are going to be taught by three different people who have personal real-life stories of their interactions with some of these different sacred pathways of being Christian. So Bill is going to teach on the liturgical enchantment. Um, Crystal is going to teach on the charismatic enchantment. Stephen's going to teach on the contemplative enchantment. So that's what's coming. But our enchantment today, for today, today's enchantment seeks to engage the sacred earth and the sacred soul and the sacred journey that is at the heart of Celtic spirituality. It's the Celtic enchantment. I was trying to figure out if there's a way to play Enya or something. Can we play Enya? There we go. I tried to get Brad to sing Enya, but he won it. <laughs> nope. So, okay, that's enough, eh? Thanks. <laughs> So, so the Celtic way of faith has drastically influenced places like Scotland and Ireland and places like the Holy Wells in Lwendon Island. It's a way of seeing earth as it is in heaven. It's a way of seeing the physical as spiritual, where the sacred and the secular are often indistinguishable. It's a way of life and faith where God invites us into sacred dreams, sacred imaginations, whether it's expressed through poetry or song or friends or forests. Now I need to give a caveat. I am not an expert on Celtic spirituality. Uh, the next few weeks, our teachers will be more practiced and have um, more examples of the way that enchantment has inspired their life and faith. Um, basically, I'm here because one time I went to Ireland. Uh, just kidding. I, I do consider myself to dabble in Celtic spirituality. And the more I learn, the more I realize that this stream of faith is one that my soul is deeply drawn to. I've always been a sucker for things that have the word Celtic in them. I mean, it's kind of a brand, you know, like you put the word Celtic in front of something and all of a sudden it's really cool. Like take a random thing, any material thing, put the word Celtic on it, and all of a sudden it's like mystical and spiritual. To avoid doing that with this teaching, I want to give a little bit of history, uh, context by what we mean when we say the word Celtic. Like who are the Celts? And much of what I talk about today, uh, outside of that Hunting Magic Eels book, comes from a book called Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul. So around 500 BC, the Greeks called them the Keltoi, or the Celts. Uh, the Romans called them the Gali, or the Gaels. You may have heard the word Gaelic. Today we think of Ireland, Scotland, as Celtic territory, but it spanned through Middle Europe, everywhere from what is now Turkey to what is now Spain. It was not an empire. Uh, they were not super formal or organized or powerful. The Celts formed a loose series of tribes that shared a culture and a language. They were primarily rural and agricultural people. Their architecture was inspired by nature, rounded and curved buildings instead of square rectangle buildings. They developed trades and art forms that often reflected the themes and patterns of nature. And here's what's important. As the Roman Empire spread, the Romans were mostly confused by the Celts, who among other things, 
didn't worship in traditional temples or parish churches. They gathered with small groups of families and friends in the forests and the mountains. They formed abbeys and monasteries. They were very communal, artistic, environmentally focused people. And while the rest of the world was being led or forced into the Roman way of Christianity, the Celtic Christians were kind of doing their own thing, their own way, despite the big empire Roman influence that structured most of the rest of the world. And this included the way they practiced their faith. Uh, it, it is worth saying that there is much debate and controversy in the scholarly world surrounding the Celtic and Celtic Christianity. Uh, the argument is that Roman and Celtic ways of being were more intertangled, uh, that it's hard to distinguish the Roman way and the Celtic way as much as we like to. Um, it, we also like to peg the Celtic Christians as freer, more spiritual, more egalitarian, more environmentally friendly, instead of the dogmatic, rigid, patriarchal, hierarchical Roman Christians. On the other side, there's this tendency to quickly label Celtic Christians as pagans uh, because of their mythology, because of the way they are um, so reverent to nature, because of things like magic eels. It's all just a wee bit too magical for some folks. But I want to be clear about this teaching and about the next three to come. These are not just random spiritual self-help tips and tricks. These are ways of being Christian. These are ways of following Jesus. So when I talk about Celtic spirituality, I'm talking about Celtic Christianity. These people whose monasteries were not cold, hard stone castles, but Christian villages. Places of agriculture and study and safety and friendship and hospitality that were formed out of the story of God. So there are some distinct features uh, that the Irish and the Scottish monastics have taught us about what it means to follow Christ differently than the way of the empire. They were weird people in a wild land, and among other things, they were crucial in helping Europe relearn and re-embrace and re-enchant their world after their faith in Christ, and their faith in Christ after the fall of Rome. If you're interested in the history of all of this, we don't have time to get into it today, but there's a book um, called How the Irish Saved Civilization. Brad uh, gave it to me, and it keeps coming up over and over if you are interested in this kind of thing. So Celtic spirituality. What they believed is that God's presence was everywhere. Yeah, 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 like God is everywhere. No, they had intentional ways of seeing the world where every moment... Every site, every place, every small thing, from good mead to good music, was deep connection with the spiritual world. The earth was packed with thin places, they call them. Spaces and places of enchantment, where the boundary between the sacred and the secular, between heaven and earth, was almost indistinguishable. There was this willingness in Celtic Christianity to pay attention to where you are. To enchant the place where you find yourself now, right where you are standing. To, to anoint the place that you are standing as a sacred gift. Think of Moses in the burning bush where the glory of God was so evident, he took off his shoes, declaring that place holy ground. 
the, the idea is that God, through Christ, had enchanted all of nature. And the Celtic tradition takes particular delight in creation and experiencing God in the natural world. Lord of all places, the Celtic Christians pray, how good you are to praise. The earth, this place, is good and beautiful and a gift. Uh, you may be familiar with what we can call a famous Celtic American, uh, John Muir. John Muir is responsible for his influence uh, in founding most of the national parks in our country. So um, if you've seen around here, especially the t-shirts that say the mountains are calling and I must go, have you seen that? Or like there's a picture of this bearded man and like in his beard there's like mountains and trees. Most of those are John Muir. So Muir was born in Scotland but moved to the United States in 1850. He was raised in a very legalistic, angry, fundamental, Bible-only home. So he was taught and raised in a home where he and all of creation was poor worms of the dust conceived in sin. That there was no other point of faith other than obsession with the Bible, to the point that John Muir was beaten by his father if he incorrectly recited scripture. And as he became an adult, instead of leaving the faith altogether, Muir began to seek God another way. He, he began to seek God through what he called another book. Muir, along with a lot of other ancient Celtic church fathers and mothers, believed that there were two books that which God is speaking. The little book, so the holy book of scriptures, the Bible, and the big book, the cosmos, the great sacred text of the universe that is also a living, unfolding text in which God is still writing passages for us to learn from, and we would, be do well, we would do well to pay attention to. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is being preached on every mount, John Muir says. You know, you know in a minute we're gonna read, uh, later this uh, gathering, we're gonna read what's known as St. Patrick's, it's his breastplate prayer. You've probably heard this, you'll, you'll pick up on it. But the, this prayer begins, it's one of kind of the most famous um, Celtic prayers out there. This prayer begins with um, committing yourself, binding yourself to God the Father, to the Trinity. But then it moves to another sphere. This prayer says, I bind myself today, the virtues of the starlit heaven, the glorious sun's life-giving relay, I think it's supposed to be rays, the whiteness of the moon at evening, the flashing of lightning free, the whirling winds, tempestuous shocks, the stable earth, the deep salt sea, around the old eternal rocks. This poetry is very much part of what it means to be a Celtic Christian. Another writing in the book of Colossians in the New Testament, Paul was writing to a small agricultural town in modern day Turkey. Paul was writing this letter to a small church community that despite the way the world was moving and changing, they continued to find their hope in Christ and they were being challenged and belittled because of it. So Paul writes them this letter. This is such a good biblical example of the way Celtic Christians approach their faith. This is Colossians 1, verse 15. We look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, 
rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. All because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. This, this beautiful poetry describes the way everything falls within the sphere of the creative work of Christ. And this, in, in Colossians, it's, it's more song than sermon. It's more epic tale than law journal. It's more prayer than encyclopedia. This hymn is born out of a sacred imagination about God, about Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it imagines a way that we are invited into this ongoing story of creation, the ongoing story of death and resurrection, of the way we are being pulled out of the mess we've made of the world again and again and again, and invited into a new way of being. The sacred imagination. Our world is desperate for it. To recognize that we are made of God is to recognize that we are made of the creative stuff of the earth through which story and song and poem may come out of us as we co-create and contribute to the beauty and the healing of the world. Even our cries over the suffering of the world, even our anger at the injustice of the world, all of these emotions are deeply human and deeply divine. And at the heart of Celtic Christianity, it's not only the sense that every place is holy, but every human, every human, has within them this sacred dignity that is to be honored. So in the sixth century, uh, there was an Irish saint. Uh, her name was Saint Ida. I think we have a kind of the icon of her up there. Uh, when, when St. Ida was small, she had a dream over and over um, where she was gifted three stones. Celtic people love forming things in groups of three or triads. Like we like to view things as black and white, um, either or dichotomies. Celtic Christians always recognize that a third way is possible. Uh, so many Celtic monastics, fathers, desert fathers and mothers, um, lived their life by, they called it, three essential things. So example, one, um, one ancient Celtic monk says, faith, simplicity, and spirituality. Those were his three essential things. Uh, exile, poverty, and endurance. That would be another monastic three essential things. Uh, you may know Micah 6.8, the prophet in the Old Testament. What does the Lord require of you? What three things? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. There was no systematic 10-step uh, 
process that the Celtic Christians would live their lives. There were just three essential things. And it was a different three things for everyone. Uh, and, and those three things shifted through one's life. And the word essential, I understand, comes to mean something different to us now after COVID. But St. Ida had a dream that these three stones that she was given, they would come back to her over and over through her life. And these three stones, of course, in the beginning represented the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this uh, relationship, this dance that makes up the person of God. And she realized that these stones kept coming to visit her and the Trinity kept coming to visit her at different points in her life. And so her response to the Trinity's visitations was to dedicate her life to three things, true faith in God, simple or grateful spirit, and generosity. I'm curious, because of the way God, or Christ the Son, or the Holy Spirit has not left you alone, because you are still here, because you have stayed, what three things about faith and God are most important to you? What three things make you keep on with this way of seeing the world? What three things make your heart and your soul feel most alive? To what three things might you commit your life? What three practices or principles do you find most essential? For what three things do you want to be remembered? You may want to take some time in the coming weeks uh, to think about what these three essential things might be for you. Uh, during Common Meal today, there, we're going to invite you, if you want to take three stones out of that bucket, you are welcome to do that. And maybe for today, these three stones just remind you of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, or, or maybe you want to consider some of these other questions. Uh, the last thing uh, that I think is important for us to remember as we uh, pick up from this Celtic enchantment. So alongside their dedication to holiness and prayer, alongside the love of good music and good mead and nature, uh, was the way they deeply delighted in human connection and friendship. Uh, the Celtic Christians were far more communal people than other forms of monasticism that we know of. Uh, they developed this fairly well-known idea of the Anamkara, which literally means soul friend, or a friend of the soul. Anamkara is the, the name given to these wise and graceful and compassionate people in our lives that contribute to our spiritual and emotional flourishing. St. Bridget is one of the most well-known Celtic saints, probably outside of St. Patrick. He, she once told a monk under her care that anyone without a soul friend, anyone without an Anamkara, is like a body without a head. They believe that the relationships within the body of Christ were crucial, that faith cannot be done on an island. Another theologian, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor, theologian who lived and worked um, under Nazi Germany, he was actually uh, killed for his association with anti-Nazi movements, said this, God has willed that we should seek and find God's living word in the testimony of other Christians, in the mouths of human beings. Therefore, Christians need other Christians who speak God's word to them. They need them again and again when they become disheartened 
because living by their own resources, they cannot help themselves without cheating themselves out of the truth. They need other Christians as bearers and proclaimers of the divine word of salvation. They need them solely for the sake of Jesus Christ. The Christ in their own hearts is weaker than the Christ in the world in the word of other Christians. Basically, we need each other to re-enchant our faith. We need to go out in the world, yes, but we need to gather like this, and we need to meet outside of this place to remind ourselves of who we are and what is true. That the way God works out God's actual tangible grace and love and mercy is through you and your life and the way you share that with me in my life. And though you have really messed this life and faith in God thing up often, and the way I have really messed up this life and faith in God thing often, and though we are all over the place in this room about all sorts of issues, the mercy and grace of God is displayed in the way we keep showing up for each other the way we ask hard questions together, and the way we desire to be with one another in the most painful and in the most celebratory moments. And the way we do that tangibly each week is by coming around a table. You might have uh, grown up calling it communion, the Holy Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. We, we call it common meal, but we do this as a way to exercise our sacred imaginations to participate in the story of God, the song of creation, the story of life and death and resurrection. And our community has literally made this table and this bread and this wine as an act of hospitality that you might experience the love and grace of God here. So we're gonna invite you, if you want to come to the table, uh, we'll get the bread and dip it in the wine and put it in your hands. Um, we have grape juice if you don't want the wine, and we have gluten-free crackers if you would prefer that. Uh, I also invite you, if you want to take three stones, you can, and when you leave, there'll be a piece of paper that kind of talks more about those, those three stones. But before we um, invite you to that, I'm going to end with this. This is uh, a prayer or a poem or a blessing from another one of my favorite Irish poets. His name is Padraig Otuma. Prayer like poetry, like breath like our own names, has a fundamental rhythm in our bodies. It changes, it adapts, it varies from the canon, it sings, it swears, it is syncopated by the rhythm underneath the rhythm, the love underneath the love, the rhyme underneath the rhyme, the name underneath the name, the welcome underneath the welcome, the prayer beneath the prayer. So let us pick up the stones over which we stumble friends and build altars. Let us listen to the sound of breath in our bodies. Let us listen to the sound of our own voices, of our own names, of our own fears. Let us name the harsh light and soft darkness that surrounds us. Let's claw ourselves out from the graves we've dug. Let's lick the earth from our fingers let us look up and out and around. The world is big and wide and wild and wonderful and wicked. And our lives are murky, magnificent, malleable, and full of meaning. When you're ready, we invite you to come to the table.